Hey, Stacia, do you have crippling amounts of shame in your life? (laughs) Uh, Lizzie, thank you for asking. (laughs) I was actually really kind of like nervous and being, I don't even want to say triggered by like preparing for this episode, but I like, it makes you start thinking about your deepest shame. And I'm like, oh my God. I know Brene Brown is like (laughs) hardcore. Um, Anyway, hello. Welcome to the Hey You Got This podcast. My name is Lizzie. And my name is Stacia. (laughs) And we are your co-hosts in all things wellness weirdness. Yes, Stacia, you did it. I did it. We can do hard things. We can do hard things. And today, if you guys haven't figured it out already, we are going to be talking about our October 2020 book club read, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. But I think it's going to just transition into a conversation about Brene Brown. (laughs) (laughs) And all the amazing, wonderful research and nuggets of wisdom she has given this world. I am just obsessed with everything she does. I know. It's just like everything she says. It's just like, oh, it just gets in there. Like she just like reads your deepest, darkest shit. And Liz like, oh, do you feel like this? Well, guess what? Everyone else does too. It was interesting. I first started reading Brene Brown a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting now knowing what I know going back through it. 100%. Because I'm so much more familiar with shame and like what that feels like and what it means versus I was still pretty disconnected. Like I wanted to believe I knew what she was saying. Like, oh yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. But I still wasn't quite living it, embodying it, experiencing it and all the things that she talks about. So it's just, I'm really glad that we revisited this book because it did bring up a lot of things that it was interesting to reflect upon again. Yeah, I think that's such a good point too. Like when you have a greater understanding of yourself or just like more language, I guess, more vocabulary around how to describe what's going on, her stuff just like keeps hitting really hard. And I don't know about you, but I really felt like since I've done so much like mindfulness stuff the last couple of years, like I hadn't read Daring Greatly for a few years and it hit totally different this time because of all the like introspection I've done the last couple of years. Like I I was able to notice some stuff that I don't think I noticed about myself the first time. Exactly. We are on the (laughs) same page per usual. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. It's funny. My uh, psychiatrist, actually, my like homework for this year was to reread Daring Greatly. Oh, look at you. We were trying to come up with a book. I was like, oh, (laughs) two birds, (laughs) one stone. I need to read this before the year is over. Okay. Question for you. Did you read the, did you like physically read it or did you listen to it? I physically read it. So books like this, uh, I mean, it really depends when I have the opportunity to, I do enjoy reading more than listening, especially books that have heavy concepts in them that I try to understand because I like to highlight the crap out of books and take notes on them. It helps me to absorb it a little bit more. And so, um, yeah, I read it, but it sounds like you might've listened to it. (laughs) I read it the first time I've like, so I, the first time I read all her books, I like physically read them. And then I've been going through over the last like year or so and rereading all of her books on audio. And it just is like a little bit different. And I would like always listen to it when I was on a walk. So it was like, it felt like this nice, like self-care time, but yeah, I think you just digest things differently. I mostly was asking because I think her voice is like so calming. Oh, nice. Like she has such a nice like mom voice that you just listen and you're like, 
oh, Brene is taking care of me. (laughs) Now I want to listen to the audiobook because I can totally see that. She has a podcast too that she launched like very recently in the middle of quarantine. Oh, it's called, yeah, yeah, you beat me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Brene's podcast is called Unlocking Us, which highly recommend. Everything Brene Brown, her TED Talks, everything she's done is just so relatable and has taught me a lot about shame and like it's interesting because in the book she mentions that it's not that you will ever be like free from it like that shame will never exist but it's about building up resiliency on how you handle your shame moments and things like that which I think was so helpful because it's like yes there will always be shame triggers there will always be shame in your life but like how are you going to handle it how are you going to respond to it how are you going to integrate it into your life and build resiliency to it which is so important well and also I have to admit that before I started reading Brene Brown's work I didn't really understand what shame was like I thought shame was like, oh, I'm ashamed. Like I'm embarrassed. And I didn't understand that it was like this way deeper, like thought pattern and behavior pattern that impacts all of these different facets of your life. And it was really interesting when I was reading it for the first time, I was also like starting to see a psychiatrist for the first time. And she introduced the idea of shame to me. And I was like, why don't we talk about this more? (laughs) This is so helpful. If you're willing to have a vulnerable moment with me, I'm curious if you would share, like for me, as I was reflecting on this, I was trying to think of, and like we've talked about it with the body is not an apology, shameful moments, but kind of like she talks a lot about as a kid and like that's when you first start to experience shame and I'm just curious I will I can also share but yeah your first memory of shame and like first of all let's just quickly she identifies guilt versus shame guilt is I did something bad shame is I am bad Mm -hmm. so that like identifying that you are this negative thing not that you have this negative experience or you did this negative thing but that like you are this bad thing and uh, I I mean I have like a thousand examples of that because I've lived a very shame-filled life but (laughs) I was reflecting on like I I I just have this very distinct memory of that like not enough. Mm -hmm. I am not like a worthy person. And it was really young. And that makes me really sad. (laughs) Yeah, that is sad. Little baby Stacia. I don't have like, there wasn't a specific instance. I've thought about this a lot, but I remember it was like right around the same time I was like going through puberty. So like late elementary school, early middle school, I remember I, and I now recognize it as anxiety, but I started, I would have this like terrible feeling in my chest like I had done something bad or that like something was wrong or that I was gonna like somehow get caught for being bad even though I had done (laughs) nothing like I think I mentioned on the podcast before I was like very much uh like people pleaser goody two shoes like followed the rules and so my first memory of like the shame feeling isn't like any specific thing it's I just remember all of a sudden And I I actually, I guess it is sort of a specific instance because I remember I was on vacation with my family and I just had this like terrible feeling in my chest all the time. And I felt like something was wrong with me. Like I was bad and I was afraid to tell my parents. And I don't think I even really had the like 
language to articulate it to my parents, you know, but I just remember feeling this like overwhelming, like visceral physical sensation. And yeah, like I had, I was bad or I had done something bad. So it was like guilt and shame kind of mixed together, even though there was literally no reason to. And I (laughs) remember like- What a lovely cocktail. Guilt and shame. Let's mix them together. (laughs) Uh, But I literally remember like little baby Lizzie, I would lay in bed and I would be like, I had like told myself the story that if I just figured out what it was, I was feeling weird about that it would go away. So I would lay in bed and I would think about like, okay, was it this? Was it this thing? Was it this thing? And of course, like nothing would ever happen because like it's so much deeper than just like, oh, you forgot to feed the dog or something. But that's my first memory of it. And I remember when I finally learned about shame and like learned about how it then creates anxiety, I was like, oh, that's why I was feeling like that. But I would love to know what your like first memory of <laughs> such, such a, a light. light. <laughs> What's your first memory of shame? <laughs> Happy Monday. <laughs> oh, well, I love that we can speak kind of openly and Me candidly too. about this. I think another quick, powerful message from the book is that in safe spaces to share your shame stories can be really liberating and free you from like the weight of it. So I think it's good to be able to share when it feels safe and comfortable to do so. And I feel very safe and comfortable sharing with y'all and with you, Lizzie. So for me, when I was about eight years old, I remember looking in the mirror in second grade Mr. Hill, Chautauqua Elementary School, and there was this full-length mirror, and I was wearing this cloud shirt and these dorky jeans and these puppy sneakers. I remember everything. And I remember looking out in the hallway and seeing I was in second grade, so seeing a third grader that I was friends with, and she was in this purple top in this black skirt, and she was the popular pretty girl. And I remember looking at her and then looking at me. And being like, you're so stupid, you're so ugly, like you're this terrible person and looking in the mirror and feeling that. And I was just like, I mean, upon reflecting on it, I was like, man, like I was eight and I already was carrying around so much shame. And I think for me, most of my shame came from like, I didn't feel like I had a right to exist as if like my breath took away from someone else who was more worthy of drawing breath than me. And she talks about it in the book too, that comparison, that that is something where like shame starts to take place and looking at this person and thinking that I am therefore not as worthy because they look more worthy than me. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on... uh, what I've been able to reflect and learn about myself and how I operated for a majority of my life. It's just like, man, shame played a huge role in how my life unfolded for many, many years when I was not aware of what role it had in my life. Yeah. And I think that's so common for like, I mean, I think our generation and the generations like above us, I, I'm not saying like the generations underneath us will never have shame, but I think we're at least like a lot more aware of it. But yeah, I think so much of what we do is like shaped by this shame that like, like you're saying where you're like, I'm not worthy, but I don't really know why. Like, it's not because I don't have as cool of an outfit as this really old third grader. It's like something beyond that, but you like can't articulate it, right? Not at all. I had... I. 
it wasn't until I was much older that I can even look back and be like, oh, that's what I was feeling. And it's so interesting, too, because as I become more aware and like trying to name my feelings and notice what's happening in my body and being able to recognize shame when it triggers me, like feelings of shame. Not that long ago with my last partner, I was actually scolded by his mother at one point for an action that I did. And I immediately started sobbing. And I was like, I started to go into that shame spiral of I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of love. I did something wrong and therefore I deserve to die. So, and this, I'm 31 years old and I'm having these feelings. And the one thing I'm grateful for is like when I think of how she talks about shame resilience was I had that and those, all those thoughts came to me within a five second window. And then after that, I was like, okay, Stacia. And I gave myself a few deep breaths and I was like, what is actually true? Did you making that mistake and getting quote unquote in trouble mean that you are less worthy? No, you are still worthy. You are still lovable. And so I had to like affirm myself, but like shame is a wild thing. (laughs) It's super wild. And it is like, yeah, when you're little, you go into these like thought patterns of like, I'm bad, I'm terrible. But then you like keep those as you grow up because you don't necessarily learn anything better. And it's, it's really hard. And I also think this kind of ties back into a big theme she talks about throughout her work is the idea of like true belonging and really feeling like you belong with someone or something. And just like, as you're telling that story and other anecdotes you've shared about that relationship, I feel like you like weren't made to feel like you belonged. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really liked the thoughts that she shared too around like your core, core like group of people. And I thought how she described like core friend groups and just core people that you trust was really good and really tangible because sometimes it's like all of these people are my friends, you know? And I like how she said, no, you only have like a very small handful of people who like you can really trust, they value you. I think she said something like at the best and at the worst. And I was like, that is such a good way to describe like true, true friendship, because I do think it is really hard to find people who can sit with you and who get you when shit is really hard. And maybe you're like not able to super show up for yourself. I mean, I think like 2020 is a great example of that. (laughs) Hello, none of us are showing up very well. (laughs) And I think like you said, that with the belonging versus fitting in and finding the communities and the groups and the close people that you do belong with versus the whole idea of fitting in. And I think even now with like social media culture and this idea that people do use it as a means to try and get belonging, but a lot of times it ends up being a fitting in thing. Like what's everybody else doing? Okay, well, I'm going to do that because I want to be like everybody else so that I belong to the group. And uh, they're missing out on the fact that like, no, like, authenticity. That's what Mm. we want. (laughs) Well, and I actually, you brought up a really good point that I was thinking about. Um, so she talks about like over just vulnerability and like ways to have true vulnerability and how like oversharing is actually like a shield for when you don't want to be vulnerable. And I was like, man, that is social media. Like 
to the core. I feel like especially in the wellness space, people share like people treat it like their diary. And I've definitely been there too, where I share like every single thing I'm feeling, every single thing I'm doing. And it's like, what did she said something about? Like, if it's helpful for like making them feel better or like proving a point, that's awesome. But if you're just oversharing to overshare, like that's not helping anybody and it's not helping you either. And I was like, man, that is like such a wild thing to think about, especially in regards to social media. It all comes down to intention. And she talks about that. Mm -hmm. Like, are you posting this because you need the validation and what are you seeking by sharing this? And I think that that is really important because as somebody who established most of my connections with intimate partners through trauma bonding, which is generally like regurgitating and throwing up all over them with my shit and being like, oh, now I feel connected to you. And it's like, oh, wait, actually, that's not necessarily the healthy way to connect with somebody. And also, like, I remember reading this a few years ago and being like, with my former partner, he would always... uh, And this is from the story I tell myself and what I observe, and maybe it's not this, but like a lot of people almost have, and I think even Rachel Hollis kind of does it, this like fake vulnerability where they're like, let me show you my life and that like, oh, it's not perfect, but they still hide away the actual stuff that they are ashamed of. And so it's like, uh, I'm going to put this out into the world because I want to feel that connection But true vulnerability would mean true connection. And that is way too scary. So I'm going to like still just play on the surface here for a little bit. Yeah, that that is such a good point. Yeah. Or like being like, look at me, I'm being raw and real when like really to your point, they're not. I feel like that's super, super common. Or you said this earlier and I just want to go back to it real quick because I think it was a really good point. But like on social media, seeing like, oh, this one influencer or like person I follow shares every single thing about her life. So then I'm going to do that exact same thing too. And it's just like, it's too much. And I think too, like that does often, like I've had this happen on social media where I share a lot of like personal things, especially like on this podcast too, because it helps like reaffirm some concepts or like wellness kind of tools that I'm introducing. But then sometimes I realize that it makes people think that they really know me when they like don't actually know me. I've just like shared some stories to reaffirm, you know, a point. And I think that also happens just in conversation where maybe you were like, you said trauma bonding or you're like telling somebody something really hard. So then you feel like, oh, now this person and I are like besties when it's like, "Mm, no. And also, am I glad that I shared that information with that person? Like maybe I didn't need to like share that piece of me. Yeah. Finding those safe spaces and finding the people that, you can have those moments of sharing that are really meaningful. Like I always think of the fourth and fifth step of recovery is to basically you list all your faults and all your shame and all your bad feelings. And then you have to sit down and tell them to somebody. And I think that, yeah, (laughs) so much fun. I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they say a lot of people just never do the fourth step because they're like, fuck this. They're like, "Uh, skip this one. (laughs) (laughs) But they also describe it as like there's this 
deep, dark cellar under your house and it's just overgrown and dark and scary, but you start like cutting back pieces of it and the light starts to shine through and you start to see. And I think like shame hides in the dark and 100% through personal experience of reflecting on my most shameful moments and my, all the things I think are wrong with me and shameful about me and like shame in a, I am bad and I am not worthy place was an incredibly powerful transformative experience. So like having been through a process that requires you to speak aloud the things you never wanted to think about or have to say out loud, it changed my life. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I don't think there's like a clear answer, but I do think it's like a fine line because I think sometimes it's like really empowering to share a part of your story because it's like people can't truly understand you if they don't understand like the struggles that you've been through. But then it's also like, am I sharing this because it's helpful or am I just sharing it to share it? So I don't, I, there's not a clear answer or like a clear, and that's that. But I think that like the vulner, I, that was the piece of the book this time that I was thinking about a lot because I am someone, I like to talk about the hard stuff. I like to connect with people, but I was like, man, I, I just need to like, think about how I want to go about this more intentionally. I couldn't agree more. And that's something that I ponder very frequently as I like go through this work because I want to share because I'm like, oh my gosh, if I had just only known if somebody would have just said that this exists, yeah, maybe I could have tried something different and you want to be helpful, but it's also like, it is a slippery slope. Like I've recorded things or made written posts that just sit there. Cause I'm like, I don't feel like I have bad intentions with this, but what is the fear is the fear that I'm going to be rejected by posting it? Or am I posting it because I need somebody to validate my truth? Cause I don't trust in my truth enough. Again, the intention behind it, but it, it's so tricky in the world of people. We are kind of entering an age, at least I think in the echo chambers that I exist in, that uh, people are really encouraged to be vulnerable and to open up and share their truths. And so like finding ways to do it that are helpful for everyone, including yourself, instead of harmful for yourself or whatever else. I don't know. It is it's it is definitely a line that I have not quite found like where it gets drawn, even for myself personally, with what I share. Well, and I think about this a lot uh, for millennials in particular because we grew up with like social media and the internet before there was a clear like do this, don't do this, you know. And so like we just started sharing all of our thoughts and feelings on AIM and our away messages and like every, you know, like we would, my friends and I were talking about this last night. Remember when you would take a digital camera to a party and you would just photograph everything and then you would post all of those photos. Like you wouldn't even go through and be like, this one's bad. This one's good. We wouldn't edit them. We would just post yeah. all the photos. Like we grew up oversharing everything because it was just like the things to do when we were too young to really know better. And also social media was so young that like adults didn't, there wasn't really a conversation around like, maybe don't do that. Or this is the long-term impact that it's going to take. So sometimes I feel like 
our generation specifically, we have to like correct ourselves from like this oversharing mentality that we've all grown up with. Or like I struggle sometimes with, I'm like, I'm Facebook friends with this person who I don't know. Like this person added me or I met them one time and I don't necessarily want them to see like all of the details of my life. So I've been like kind of skimming through and like deleting people who it's just like, I don't know you, you know? Yeah. I think it's so funny mentioning the things that we've said and done on social media back in the day. Like I get Facebook memories that are so horrifying where yes. I'm like, why did I think that that was okay to share why with the internet? Why did I post I'm pretty sure I had one today that I was like, <laughs> what were you thinking? But I also kind of love looking at them. It's like really fun. They are interesting. I had one that was like, may vomit is vomiting. And I'm like, does the world need to know this, Stacia? I don't think so. <laughs> were you drunk? or was I would it imagine like- so. But it was either that or food poisoning because I've had many experiences with both. So. so like, okay, in 2011 on this day, I posted cold weather can only mean one thing. I don't know what that thing is. <laughs> I never commented on it. Like, I have no idea what I meant. Let's oh see what else God. I posted. <laughs> Always knew Four loco was too good to be true. Like, <laughs> that's probably when Four Loco got banned. But like, just these real, like, why did I need to share all of this shit? Here's a bunch of terrible photos of me at a party. Like, these didn't need to be on here. This one just says Lizzie is tired in all caps. Okay. So I feel you. <laughs> I think, yeah, it was definitely the age Stacia of oversharing. Stacia is <laughs> Really, really important. Me up. Really or also, for, like my college ones are the best. It's like Stacia Block is fucked for her psych test. <laughs> <laughs> Mine were all like either photos of me at a party or me being like, practice was so hard today. I hate everything. And I'm like, wow, what a drama queen. Like, calm the fuck down. Or also like, remember the early days of Facebook where you would just have a full conversation on one of your posts instead of like, just messaging someone or texting someone. Very interesting. Millennials, <laughs> millennials have, we have a weird relationship with social media. Um, Stacia, what else like really jumped out to you from Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, other thoughts? One of the things that I really liked and I set aside some notes on was when she spoke about shame resilience, which we've touched on a little bit in the episode but just kind of break down what she mentions about it, that it's like recognizing shame and understanding its triggers. What does your body feel like? And that's been something that has been so, so crucial to me in understanding shame. And when I'm having those shame spirals or those shame moments, recognizing like, oh, this feeling is coming from a I'm not worthy place, or this is coming from a I made a mistake, so therefore I'm a terrible person and don't deserve to live place. And being able to recognize and be in my body and understand what comes up for that. And I so I just really liked that she spoke on that and being able to practice critical awareness. So reality check, checking in with your reality versus your expectations and then reaching out and owning and sharing your story and connecting with others and then speaking to it and talking about how you feel about shame. Because I think, again, it's funny with the oversharing, I made a video about 
I, like as I was going through a shame moment and like mm. a shame spiral. And I think it's so important to be able to recognize when those are happening. And it's such a new thing for me that I'm like, maybe this would help somebody else recognize like, oh, that's why I feel that way. I still haven't shared it. Maybe one day I will when I feel brave. But it was just uh, <laughs> that I would not have had that awareness years ago. And I would not have had that awareness when I read this book a few years ago. Totally. And so it was interesting reading through like shame resiliency and like noticing that I do have a few tools in my tool belt that have helped me to build some resiliency to it. Yeah. And I think in books like this and like the body is not an apology and like hood feminist, like I mean, pretty much every book club book we've read, um, they're all packed with so much stuff that like you just kind of have to read them multiple times to get everything that you can out of it. Um, I found the quote that I wanted to share about sharing, uh, that she said, and she said, I only share when I have no unmet needs that I'm trying to fulfill. I firmly believe that being vulnerable with a larger audience. So like she was talking about, like in her Ted talks and stuff is only a good idea. If the healing is tied to the sharing, not the expectations I might have for the response I get. And I was like, tattoo that on my face. That is such a good, (laughs) such a good point. Really Um, good face tattoo too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love a face tattoo. Um, but no, I thought that it was, it was really, I liked how succinct that was and just, yeah. Like, am I trying to fulfill a need or doing this more for myself? Or is this like helpful to this conversation or this story? Yeah. Those are great ways to check in with yourself about what you're about to share. Cause it is funny too. Like, Oh, someday I'm going to have somebody else to talk about other than my former partner, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> because he was talking about, he was like, no, I like this time I laid it all out on the table. I shared everything. I told them every single thing about all the problems and like who I am and all the bad things I've done and that I do. And I was like, well, that's not necessarily better either. <laughs> like right. that, that's not, no, you still don't get it. <laughs> like that's still not the vulnerability that we're talking about here. And that whole idea that like, he was still doing it to validate himself versus uh, feeling good enough about himself that like, oh, I want to share this with someone so they get to know me better. It still yeah. is like, it's a fine line. And I, you really have to know yourself and be willing to look at yourself, I think, to even understand what your intention is behind your sharing. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to talk about, and then tell if you us, have any stuff you want to talk about, um, but I really liked how she talked about, I remember when I read this the first time, the arena and like not worrying about people's opinions who aren't also in the arena getting their ass kicked. And it's been really inspiring for me, I feel like as a small business owner and as like someone who's kind of doing something a little bit more alternative with my life than the norm. And I know, Stacia, you are definitely also in like kind of the alternative sort of niche. So what did, what did you think about that? And was it helpful for you? Well, I really liked, I don't know if this is quite what you're talking about, but I do like how she talked about how when your self-worth is hitched to your product, you won't likely share it. Or if you do, it like takes away the creativity and innovation because you want it to be less risky. I mean, I, yeah, that's totally similar. Yeah. When I think about being a small business owner and we're creators, we create content, we create things to give and put out into the world. And so I know for me, when I first started building my business, my self-worth was 100% on the line. With everything I put out there, I was like, 
the world is going to tell me whether this is worthwhile or not. And I listened loudly to what the world told me and internalized that. And so I really appreciated, especially now as I'm at like a later stage of working for myself to be like, oh, like that's why it was so painful to (laughs) start this business was because I was tying my entire self-worth into uh, how successful my business was, how well-received my products were and all this stuff. And it for sure stifled my creativity, my authenticity and putting out something actually truly meaningful that it like that it makes you hold back what sharing your true gift with the world. Yeah, it totally does. Cause you're like, rather than thinking about like, what do I really believe in? You're looking like Glennon Doyle always says like externally for what everybody else will want. And I, I just appreciated it because when I first started my blog before I had even like left the corporate world, I like wouldn't even tell people about it because I was like so nervous about it. And then, you know, people would always make comments and it was, usually men who would be like, what even is this? Or like, oh, you teach yoga? And they would sort of like poo-poo it. And when I very first heard this Brene Brown quote, it was like such a relief of like, don't listen to them if they're not doing their own thing. Like, oh, yeah. if Or like if they're not pursuing something that they're really passionate about too, it doesn't have to be, you know, blogging or yoga. It can be something else. But I was just like, oh my God, yeah. And like, why am I worried about these random people's opinions? But I think that that's so easy for everybody to do. You just get caught up in worrying about what everybody thinks. And I love her reminders of like, yeah. And I love her reminders of like, those aren't your people. So who the fuck cares? Yes. Like, why are you even seeking their approval? (laughs) Which I get. I do it too. I've done it. Yeah. (laughs) Or it's like that thing where it's like, I don't like this person. So why do I care if they like me? It's like, I want to like rage at this person, but like they better like me, you know, like (laughs) it's so fucked up. Yeah. That whole idea of needing to let go of the need to be liked. And that is something that for, and I don't know if that's something something that we internalize culturally as women, that we have to be the likable ones. Like, don't stir the pot. Don't cause any drama. Just, like, make sure everything's okay. And so it's the same idea that, like, people-pleasing and, like, I need to be for everybody. And I... I'm still working on letting go of that belief because I don't want to be for everybody and I know I'm not for everybody. I know. And that's a good thing. (laughs) I think some of that for women especially comes from like wanting to feel safe too, you know, because like we don't feel safe very often. So it's like if just I don't rock the boat at all, I'll be safe, which I think is a valid, it's understandable how you get there. Would you recommend this book to a friend or would you read it again? Never. I say you should just burn it for warmth this winter. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great idea. Burn it to the ground. <laughs> Fahrenheit 451. Burn the books. No, do not burn this book, please. <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing read. And like we've said, we've read it multiple times now at different stages in our life. And each time we get something new from it. So even if you've read it once before, Perhaps there's a new nugget of wisdom waiting for you in there. So don't be afraid to reread the good ones because like this book is one of the good ones. (laughs) It is good. And I think it's also sprinkled with enough personal anecdotes that it makes it interesting versus like just the research. And she does a really, yeah, and she does a really good job like keeping the chapters really short and sweet. So they're. I at least never was like, oh my God, can we stop talking about this now? Like I felt like every time 
she introduced a new chapter, I was like, oh, really? Already? Like, okay, cool. And yeah, I love, like, I gobbled up all the stories she shared. Like, they were a really good way to conceptualize, like, oh, that's shame. Okay. Oh, that's what we're doing here. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also nice to know, too, like, when she shares stories from her own life, it's like, okay, you're not perfect at this either. You just know a lot about it. Exactly. Which is a very important reminder. And I mean, speaking of Brene Brown, actually, her first book I read was The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm, Yeah. We didn't touch on it, but just perfectionism and shame. And she talks about it in the book. That part was also just like super fascinating for me as a recovering perfectionist, understanding that even if we might be well-versed in something or we might know a lot about something, we still aren't going to be perfect at practicing it and that that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have realized about myself that like my perfectionism really shows up when I'm anxious and this year has been like very anxiety inducing for everybody. So I feel myself like falling into that perfectionism and listening to that part of the book was like, I, I needed it at this moment. So it was really helpful. I think that this book is so great because it forces us to be really introspective, even though she's sharing research and her own stories. And Stacia, we have something to help people be introspective that's launching really soon. So on November 5th, 2020, we are launching Fall Into Gratitude. It is a four week guided journal. It's not a challenge. It's like an experience program, if you will. It's centered around gratitude and introspection. Each week we'll have a different theme and you'll get access to different um, wellness experiences guided by Stacia and I. So it could be like a really body positive workout. It could be guided meditation. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of journaling, a lot of mindfulness, but we're basically taking all of the tools we've learned, all of our favorite ways to practice mindfulness and putting it into a four week little course for you guys to work through because this is a really, really stressful year and we're going into the most stressful time of year. And I know Stacia and I both felt like we needed something extra to help Mm -hmm. us cope. And we were like, why not share that with everybody else? So we'll link it in the show notes. It's also on our website. And I just wanted to share that by supporting this, first of all, you're supporting two small business owners, two female business owners, but also when we are able to sell like digital products like this, we don't have to take money from advertisers, which, you know, Stacia and I aren't opposed to taking money from advertisers if it's the right fit. But when we have our own programs that you guys are supporting, we're able to continue creating this podcast, continue finding guests, which we're going to have in season two, um, and just other really awesome things. So I just wanted to share that too, of like the impact that you have if you join us for this. I love that, Lizzie. And it is so true that we love creating this podcast for you all. And through supporting us, you are also supporting yourself because this gratitude experience is going to be quite fantastic and you're going to get so much from it. It's so cool. But it just allows us to show up and create even more awesome things for you all. So we appreciate you so very much and are excited to embark on this little gratitude adventure with everyone. We are. And I'm trying to get better about not being afraid to make the ask. So please purchase, send it to your friends, shout it from the rooftops. If it's something that aligns with you, we would love your support. And on that note, speaking of gratitude, do you want to wrap it up with sharing our yay for the day? Yeah, Stacia, what's your yay for the day? <laughs> Dang it, Lizzie, that's why I was asking. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I feel like I've been talking a lot. So <laughs> I love hearing you speak. You just have so many good things to say. <laughs> 
I, okay, it's actually on that note. I am really grateful for you, Lizzie, because. Stations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this. I really am, though. Like, it's so wild that we have created this really awesome partnership that I think is so complimentary and uh, as we record these podcasts like every time I'm just like gosh she's so good at asking questions and like moving the conversation forward and guiding us through these conversations and like what an amazing skill that is and I'm so grateful that you are by my side for this podcast because uh, I think we have a lot of really great things that we bring to the table and I love seeing all the amazing things that you contribute to this podcast. Thanks, Stacia. (laughs) I really appreciate you. That was so sweet. No, it has been, I have to say, and I also want to put this out there for you guys if you need it. I know Stacia and I have both been working on our own for a really long time and it feels so good to have somebody else to do something with and to be able to ask each other for help. And I feel like Stacia and I are both pretty good about communicating our needs to each other and creating that space for each other to communicate our needs. And so you know, if you are a solopreneur or you have a project by yourself, don't be afraid to like Stacia and I, a year ago, if someone had been like you and this girl you went to high school with, are going to have a podcast. I would have been like, what? (laughs) Um, But don't be afraid to reach out and connect with people. And, you know, we talked about social media and I think there's so many good and bad parts of it, but I do think it's really cool how we can find people who have really similar values and goals as ourselves and work together. So it's my yay is having someone to work with and talk to and not just be like, so dogs, what do you think about this blog post? Does it look good? All right, cool. I'll publish it. I love that. And I think for me, I'm just getting a little nostalgic because we are getting close to wrapping up season one. Yes, we of are. The Hey, You Got This podcast, which has evolved in so many beautiful, wonderful ways. So I've just been reflecting on that. And by the time we wrap season one, it's 40 episodes, my friends. 40 like, episodes, whoa. guys. 40 <laughs> times we have popped on FaceTime and bared our souls and talked about wellness things to hopefully give you the tools to... Find your own flavor of wellness weirdness. I love it. And we have one more episode after this, and then we're going to take a little break to plan out season two. So please DM us, send us your notes, any thoughts you have or things you'd like to see. We're going to do some planning, and then we'll be back in action after the holidays. Yes, and next week we will be discussing how to survive the holidays in a particularly stressful year, as well as a few little nuggets of... uh, wisdom that we've learned as Lizzie and I enter into our birthday season as well. Hello, Scorpio season. Scorpio season. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be fun. So that'll be our last episode of season one. Thank you guys so much for your support. All of your reviews, rating and subscribing. If you haven't rated and subscribed yet, please do. It helps us so, so much. And it means so much to us. It's how we're able to continue doing this. And Stacia, you want to finish us off? And don't forget, hey, you got this. Thank you.